Amen. So if you haven't been with us, we're, we've been in a series called Journey to the Cross. And what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And we're looking at the, several, uh, the last several chapters where Jesus is on a journey uh, towards Jerusalem where he will suffer and die on the cross. And he's teaching his disciples at each step of the way about discipleship. And so we've been learning about what it means to follow Jesus, especially in light of the cross, especially in light of Jesus' suffering and death. Now, as we get to chapter uh, 11 here in the Gospel of Mark, we get to the third section of, of Mark's biography. And so uh, Mark is, is divided into three different sections. Uh, the first is where uh, Jesus is doing his ministry around Galilee. And then the second one is the one I was just telling you about, where he uh, was at Caesarea Philippi and going forward, he was teaching his disciples about what it means to follow him. And then there's the final section that begins in chapter 11 here. And this is the final week of Jesus' life, where he is in Jerusalem, he's teaching, uh, he's doing various things before he's crucified. What's so fascinating is that when you look at the, the divisions here, they're not equal. And so think about the first two sections. Uh, th that's the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And then the final section, chapters uh, 11 through 16, this is the final week of Jesus' life. So six chapters devoted to one week of Jesus' life, the final week. And what this means is that every move that Jesus makes here in chapter 11 through 16 is highly significant. Um, every word that he speaks, every move that he makes is deeply symbolic, very significant. Every single move is very important. And this is especially true of the story we're going to look at today, the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. Um, everything about this story is significant. Everything, every detail, every, every little piece here is deeply symbolic and significant because it tells us about who Jesus is. You know, the triumphal entry, the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, it gives us a snapshot, it gives us a picture that just really captures the essence of who Jesus is. It captures the essence of his, of his personality and his character and his mission. And you think about that, there, you know, there are some photos that just really capture uh, the, uh, the, the person in the image, isn't there? You know, there's a, there's a photo of my son Samuel, I just put it on Instagram, and it's Samuel down at Riverside Park, and he's standing on top of that big train uh, down there, you know, the black train. It's evening, there's the big sunset, it's bright red there in the distance, and Samuel is on top of the train giving the victory sign. And, uh, you know, any parent would have been nervous, I took a picture. And uh, because it encapsulated for me just who Samuel was. I mean, this image really put together, uh, you know, just the, the essence of Samuel. You know, he's a risk taker. He likes to divide and conquer. You know, he's out there giving the victory side. This is Samuel. And there's another photo of me laying on the couch uh, eating a cookie, um, which sort of encapsulates maybe a little bit about who I am. But the story here about Jesus, this triumphal entry, it really, it, it distills, it captures, it, it symbolizes really the essence of who Jesus is. It's a snapshot that really like no other, almost no other story in the Gospels really show us who Jesus is. Because Jesus, uh, as Tim Keller once said, is, is incredibly humble, but he's not at all modest. You know, the, he's, Jesus is very humble, you know, he's, 
He's, he's welcoming uh, little children to himself, you know, he's, he's washing feet, you know, he's, he's encountering lepers, he's a very lowly, sort of humble man. But he's not at all modest. I mean, Jesus made statements like, before Abraham was, I existed. You know, he's raising the dead and calming the seas. I mean, Jesus was, was uh, you know, he's humble, but he's also incredibly uh, bold in who he is. Uh, you know, and, and the story here, this triumphal entry, really captures these two things about Jesus. In the tri- triumphal entry, we see Jesus direct, de- deliberately juxtaposes his majesty and his meekness, his power and his weakness, his authority and his boldness and his humility are brought together in this story, really showing us who he is. So we're going to look at it. We're going to go through and, and just kind of see these things in the story. I want to divide it into three different parts. Uh, number one, we're going to see the boldness of the triumphal entry, the, the authority that you see in Jesus' triumphal entry. And then second of all, we're going to see the humility of the triumphal entry, the lowliness of it. And then finally, we're going to see the purpose of it. And so the boldness, the humility, and the purpose of the triumphal entry. So first... Uh, we'll look at the boldness of this move that Jesus makes here. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door outside uh, in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told him that Jesus said to, to let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed, uh, who followed behind were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, ki- the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. We'll stop there. So the first thing I want you to want to point out here is the boldness, uh, the, the authority that we see here in the triumphal entry. And in order to see that, we've got to sort of see the context. So uh, this is Jerusalem, uh, and it's during the week of Passover. In fact, all of this last final week of Jesus' life is during the, we- the time of Passover. And uh, during this time, this is a big Jewish festival. Uh, the city swelled to over 600,000 people. The place was packed. And uh, pilgrims from all over the Galilee area, p- pilgrims from everywhere, poured into the city. And the environment was absolutely electric. And so the guards and the centurions and the governors would have been high on high alert because it was during this time that there was sort of this revolutionary atmosphere for the Jews. You know, the Passover is a, it's a feast about the Jews' liberation from slavery in Egypt. And so here in, in Jerusalem, it's, there's this environment, there's this zeal, this revolutionary zeal and this messianic hope, and they're, and they're thinking to themselves, maybe this year, maybe this year during Passover, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to defeat the Romans. Maybe this is the time, and so there's this, there's this fervor in the city, this messianic hope, and people are looking for their king. 
And it's at this point that Jesus rides into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And as Jesus rides, the, the people gather around him and they throw the, the palm branches down, which we know from another gospel they did that. And they throw their uh, cloaks, clo- cloaks on the road, um, sort of uh, creating a makeshift red carpet for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem upon. And what I want you to see here is that this, is, this event was deliberately created by Jesus. You know, whenever I thought of this, uh, the triumphal entry before, I always thought of it like a surprise party. You know, like Jesus, uh, you know, rides into Jerusalem and suddenly there's this mob, you know, they attack him and they're all around him and, and they're sort of like this celebrity, you know, they're surrounding him and saying, hell, king of the Jews. And, and Jesus is like, oh, shucks, you know, you shouldn't have. You know, like Jesus didn't have any idea that this was going to happen. But what I want you to see is that this triumphal entry was not created by the crowds, but by Jesus himself. Uh, There are six verses dedicated to Jesus finding a cult here. Right, and so Jesus has been walking for for, for many, many miles into Jerusalem. Why does he stop now to get a cult? Why is he doing this? Everybody else is walking into the city. Jesus is going to ride. And why does Mark spend six verses talking about how his disciples went out and they found this colt that was tied up and they they get him and they bring him to Jesus and nobody's ever ridden on this colt? Jesus is deliberately orchestrating this event. Now, why is he doing this? It's because Jesus knew and all the crowd knew that when the Messiah comes, he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a steed. All the prophets said that when the Messiah comes, he is going to ride from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, into his temple, to declare himself king. And that the Messiah was going to set up his rule there in Jerusalem, and he was going to reign from sea to to, to sea. And so Jesus here is making a very bold and deliberate statement. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. You've read about it, Zechariah 9.9, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to ride in, and he's going to set up his kingdom. I, whom the prophets speak about, am here. And he wasn't just claiming to be the Jewish king. You have to know this. That when Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, as he rode into Jerusalem here, he was claiming to be the world's true king. Because the Jews thought that, you know, the Messiah, when he comes to reign in Jerusalem, that reign is going to spread to all the nations. And so Jesus here is saying, I'm the final king. I'm the world's true king. And he's even saying he's a divine king. As Jesus rides, there's one more thing you need to notice. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what is the first thing that he does when he gets down there? Anybody know? He walks into the temple. And what does Jesus say when he walks into the the temple? He says, my house shouldn't look like this. He sees all the money changers. My house, house should not look like this. Now, when Jesus looks at the temple and calls it my house, he's talking like an owner. And who's the only one who owned the temple? It was God himself. So Jesus, make in a very bold move here, he's orchestrating the entire thing, is saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the world's true king, and this temple is my house. An incredibly bold move. And before we move on, I want to just sort of camp on this and think that, you know, when Jesus comes into the world, 
This is how he comes. When Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and when Jesus rolls into your life, he rolls in as the world's true king and your true king. In other words, Jesus won't slip into Jerusalem. Jesus won't go quietly into your life. Jesus refuses to be a guru or a life uh, coach or a, or a consultant. Jesus comes as the king. And he will not enter your life as sort of a fashionable accessory on, of a life that you're still in control of. This is the only way Jesus comes. He comes as your king and mine. He comes incredibly boldly here. Now, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem like this, I want you to see that he's forcing everybody's hand. By not slipping into Jerusalem, by coming in and saying, look, I am the, the world's true king, he's saying, look, you either crown me or kill me. He's saying, you can't be neutral about me. You can't be nonchalant about me. You either bow down and say, command me, or you've got to kill me. There's no, either, there, there's no middle ground for Jesus here. He's making a very bold statement to them and to us. He is the world's true king. You know, um, last week, my, um, I was, I'm, I'm part of this Facebook group. It's a, it's a, re, it's a reunion for my um, old uh, Bible college uh, uh, classmates. Uh, one of our classmates had died recently, and so there's this reunion that we're having on Facebook, and people are sharing memories and putting up pictures and saying what, what's went on with them in the last 20 years. 20 years? <laughs> it's been. And uh, so anyway, my, my old roommate, roommate puts up a little post. And he says, I'm no longer a Christian. He says, in fact, I'm an atheist. I don't believe, you know, nothing about the claims of Christ, nothing about the Bible. I don't believe any of it anymore. And I was thinking, wow, my old roommate, that's really crazy. And then he said, but he, he went on to say that I still follow the teachings of Jesus. He says, I still admire the teachings of Jesus. I still follow um, the Golden Rule and the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. I still follow pretty much all of it, but I'm just... I don't believe anything about who Jesus is. And I just remember thinking, Jesus, I mean, look, I'm sure that maybe Jesus is glad that he's following his teachings. I'm glad that he's following the golden rule. That's really great. But Jesus will not be his life coach. Jesus will not simply be a guru or a consultant. Jesus comes with an all-or-nothing claim, and he says, look, you either crown me or kill me. You fall at, your feet, at my feet and worship me, or you don't follow me at all. That's the only way he allows us to relate to him, especially here as he enters in Jerusalem as king. Because for Jesus, it's all or nothing. You know, um, my name is Brent Swanson, if you, if you didn't know. And let's say, you know, you came to me and said, you know, uh, Brent, you can come in, but Swanson, you need to stay out. You, 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 you can't do that. You get all of me or none of me. It's Brent Swanson or nothing. And Jesus says, this is the way I roll into your life. I come as a king. I come with great authority. I come boldly. And I come to command you. I come to subdue you. I come as your ruler. I come as your ultimate authority. And this is the bold claim of the triumphal entry. 
Now, we're going to move on from there because Jesus, although this is incredibly bold, I want you to also see the second point, that this, this triumphal entry is also incredibly humble. This is a bold move, but I want you to see that this is a humble move. Because what does Jesus do here? When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what is his choice of steed? He comes riding a donkey. He's going to ride into Jerusalem like a general, like the Messiah that he is, but what is he going to ride on? His choice of steed is, is a donkey or a small colt. Now, who rides on a donkey? Children ride on donkeys. You know, if you went to a Lion College yesterday to the Scottish Festival, you saw all those little donkeys. Are those donkeys or small horses? I don't know. Um, but who's riding around in a circle on the, on the donkeys? Children are. And if I got in there in that ring and got on the little donkey, you know, straddled the donkey, uh, everybody would have laughed at me because what is a donkey for? A child rides a donkey. Sancho Panza rides a donkey. A hobbit rides a donkey. This is not the choice of steed for a great, powerful general. This is the choice for a child, for somebody incredibly humble. And I imagine the disciples were probably wondering, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, here they are. You know, the disciples wanted Jesus to, to stand up and tell everybody he was the Messiah. And now he's finally doing it. He's going to ride into Jerusalem. He's going to make a big, bold statement. And he says, now I want you to go find my steed. And they go and they think, a donkey? This is, this is not right. <laughs> this donkey. The, he need our, the master needs a PR man or something. This is, just doesn't look right, a donkey. But again, Jesus does this deliberately because he wants to show us that although he's a king, he's a king like the world has never seen before. He's a king who comes riding in on a donkey. And by doing this, he wants to show us that the way he exercises his authority is with gentleness and meekness. He's a king, but he's a gentle king. Or Zechariah 9.9 says that when your Messiah comes, he's going to come riding, he's going to come riding on a donkey, and he's going to be meek and lowly. That's the point he's making. Stanley Hauerwas, who uh, wrote, a commentator, uh, wrote a commentary on Matthew, um, he thinks that Jesus here is being, uh, he's, he's deliberately uh, satirizing all the other war generals. He's doing this on purpose, and he's almost uh, making a parody of what generals normally did. This is what he says. On the one hand, this looks like all the other triumphal entries. 200 years earlier, Simon Maccabeus had defeated the foreign armies and kept Israel independent, and he rode into Jerusalem with people shouting and cheers, waving palm branches because he delivered them. And then Harawas says, but this entry parodies the entries of kings and armies. Victors in battle do, do not ride into their capital cities riding on asses, but on fearsome horses. But this kind does not and will not triumph through force of arms. Behold your king. He comes gentle. And he wields his authority with the tenderness of a delicate father. He's riding on a donkey. True leadership in the kingdom always looks like this. 
Uh, Jesus had just made a, you know, in Lucas's text last week, he was telling his disciples, the, the rulers in the world, they dominate and they're domineering and they use their force, but he says, not so in the kingdom. Following my example, the chief ruler, the Messiah, all great rulers in my kingdom use their authority with gentleness. Now, there was a pastor a while back who was fired from his church because he was not leading the way Jesus led. You know, and, and, you know, his, there's some uh, people within his network who came in and said, look, you're fired, you can't do this, you gotta get out of leadership. And usually people are ousted from leadership because of sex, you know, or because they're mismanaging funds. But for this guy, his name was Mark Driscoll, they said, your, your leadership is domineering. And because of that, it doesn't look like the leadership of Jesus. Because Jesus rides in on a donkey. Behold, your king comes lowly and gentle. So Jesus comes with meekness. Now, when he comes down on a donkey, it's not saying that Jesus is weak. Meekness is not the same as weakness, right? You know, you think about it, Jesus was not weak at all. Jesus uh, commanded the sea one time to be quiet, and the weather obeyed him. Right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what's the first thing he does? Like we said, he went into the temple, temple and he makes a whip by himself. And he begins to whip the Pharisees and turning over tables. This is a man of incredible strength. So meekness is not the same as weakness. Jesus is not fragile. Jesus is not really delicate. He's got incredible power. But meekness is power under control. Meekness is like a great stallion who allows a child to sit in the saddle. And Jesus says, you want to know who I am? Here's a snapshot. I'm a ruler. I've got all authority. I'm the Messiah. I'm the king of the world. But I use my authority so gently. And I come into your life with great authority and yet with incredible meekness and gentleness and lowliness. There's a great Old Testament prophecy that describes Jesus' meekness. And it's talking about the Messiah. This is in the book of Isaiah. And I love this scripture. Notice what it says. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, speaking of the Messiah, or make it heard in the street. But it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Don't you love that image? I mean, here's this man, this God of authority, Jesus Christ, comes into your life and says, all or nothing, get at my feet, I want to command you. And yet he says, I yield, I, I wield my authority with incredible gentleness. And a bruised reed I will not break. Some of you feel like this this morning. You feel like a bruised reed. What is a bruised reed? It's a, it's a reed that's just hanging by a thread. It's been trampled upon, and so the, it's bending over, and it's just hanging there by a thread. And a bruised reed, he's not going to trample over it. If you're just hanging by a thread, and you're almost ready to break, Jesus comes very gently and puts you back together again. And then a smoking a wick he will not quench out. And so if you're a smoking wick, 
you're about ready to go out, you know, you're smoking and you're, the fire's almost gone and the energy's almost gone and, and everything's almost gone. Jesus comes to you and he gently fans the flame. This is the way Jesus rules your life. And Jesus was always treating weak, broken people like this. To a woman who's caught in adultery, he doesn't just come and, and throw the book at her and, and yell at her. He says, look, I, I care about you, and I forgive you. I want to help you go and sin no more. Or to, or to short Zacchaeus, you know, who everybody hated and, and everybody had unkind words for. He comes to Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree, and Jesus says, come down. I want to eat a meal with you tonight. You see, a bruised reed, he will not break. A smoking flax, he's not going to burn it. He's not going to blow it out. Jesus wields his authority with gentleness and lowliness and meekness. And to those who are delicate, he's going to treat you with kindness. Jesus, I imagine, and I had this, uh, this illustration this past week, and, and you can tell me if it works, it may not. But Jesus is almost like the perfect doctor. Think about the perfect doctor. You want your doctor to have authority, right? You want to go into the doctor's office. You want her to have, you know, uh, awards on the wall. You want to see the Harvard degree up there. You want to know that your doctor has authority in the field, that your doctor is competent and knows what she's doing. And yet you want your doctor to be gentle, right? As she comes at you with the knife, you want her to use that thing delicately. When it's dealing with your own issues and your own problems and the things that are going on in your life, Jesus says, a bruised reed I will not break, a, a smoking flax, I'm not going to blow that out. I'm going to fan it into flame. I wield my, I've got authority. I'm going to roll into Jerusalem like the king who's the boss, who owns the place but I'm going to come riding gentle and lowly on a donkey, and I know how to take weak, broken, almost blown-out people and treat them with incredible meekness and gentleness. This is your God. This is why M. Scott Peck said that Jesus is the best-kept secret of Christianity. And if people don't know, people don't know the, 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 who Jesus was and what he was like, because on the one hand, he had incredible he Messiah, and he calls for your everything, but then on the other hand, he's so gentle and meek and lowly. You don't, you don't have to be afraid of this king. So he comes writing, behold, your king comes, but he comes gentle. Behold, he comes as the, the Messiah, but he's meek and he's lowly. Now, what does this look like in somebody's life? I mean, what, what does it look like when somebody meets this Jesus? I was reading a book this past week called Finding God in the Waves. It's a beautiful book. It's about a guy who lost his faith uh, because of science. So he's this brilliant guy. He's called Science Mike. He's got a podcast. But he, he loses his faith because of science. And he starts going undercover. He's still going to church. He's still a deacon. He's still playing in the worship band. But at home, he's on blogs, talking to atheists and slowly losing his faith. And he was afraid to tell all of his Christian friends because he was afraid of just being humiliated and booted out of the church and treated unkindly. So he tells no one. And then he goes out to this conference in California. 
and some reason, maybe it's because it's California, you get a boldness in California. He's in this conference, and he's surrounded by all of these Christians, and he finally decides to come out with his atheism. And he just unloads on this group of people. It was a group of about 50 people. And he just starts slamming their faith and pulling out all the arguments and doing all these things. And after it was all done, he sat quietly waiting to see what they were going to do. And here's what he says. He says, I threw the fullness of my doubt about God at them, and they held it with grace. They did not shout me down or take apart my arguments. They didn't try to win me over or rebuke me. They accepted me. And they thanked me for caring. He says, I, he, see, he says, when you attack people's faith, they get vicious. But he says, these people didn't get vicious. They loved me. And they treated me gently. And then he gives this advice to Christians who, who know somebody in their lives who's a doubter. And this is what he says. He says, if you're a Christian who wonders what to do with someone in doubt, Consider these words carefully. Love and grace speak loudly. The first and best response to someone whose faith is unraveling is a hug. Apologetics aren't helpful, neither are scripture references. The first thing a hurting person needs is to know they're not alone. And then he makes this powerful line. He says, my path back to God was paved by grace by those who received my doubt in love. And I just kept on thinking that they are displaying the perfect rule of Jesus. He comes with authority, and yet he's so gentle. He's not going to, a bruised reed, he's not going to break it off, and a smoking flax, he's not going to blow it out. He's going to bring them back, and he's going to woo them back and be so gentle and so meek until he subdues you with his kindness. Jesus Christ is the best kept secret of Christianity. He comes boldly, but he comes humbly. But then finally, let's look quickly at the purpose of his coming. Why does Jesus come? Well, you see it in the crowd. Because what does the crowd do? As soon as he rides down on his donkey, the crowds sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And as, as uh, Cody said earlier, um, Hosanna means save now. They knew why he was riding in. Why was he riding in? To save us. But in their brains, they were thinking he's a mighty Messiah coming to defeat the Romans. He's going to pull out his sword. He's going to defeat the enemy. But remember, Jesus comes to save us in a different way, doesn't he? How does this king save he comes through a perfect mix of authority and meekness. He is strong enough to, to destroy your sin. He's got the authority to, to defeat the devil. And yet, how does he do it? He does it by putting himself under the weight of your sin and mine. And so meekly, he goes to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter. And as he hung up there, he could have called on any legion of angels to save him. But as, as a meek savior, he hangs there bleeding and dying to save us. The cross is the ultimate place where we see his power and his meekness. The triumphal entry 
points to the time when Jesus would save all of us through dying for us. So let me just end like this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, what is Jesus like? What does Jesus think about me? Listen, I want you to know that he is strong enough to save you, but he is so gentle that he wants to come into your life and fan the flame that is dying. He deals gently. And I also want us to imagine what it might look like if we as God's people displayed Jesus' meekness to our city. I mean, what if the people that we encountered could just tell by our actions that we serve a Jesus like this? A Jesus who has, he's the Messiah, he is God, and yet he comes so gently, and he doesn't fight back, but he lays down his life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage, the triumphal entry. God, all I could think of this week is that it's, it's a perfect mix of Jesus' authority and his gentleness. And God, I can't help but think that there are people in this room today that, that need to know that, that you are a king who rides in on a donkey. Lord, that you are a meek savior, that you are gentle and that you want to subdue us by laying down your life for us. Lord, I pray that you would gently restore your people. I pray that you draw your people to yourself, and I pray that they would experience your love, that they'd experience your kindness. God, we pray that we would see Jesus this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.